Chris Howell Communications. This is Principles for Success, the Chris Howell Podcast. Success is something we all want to attain in the various areas of our lives, but it can be challenging. So in this podcast, Chris aims to have conversations with those who have achieved a level of success and hopes that principles they share will help you to remove the roadblocks and move you to victory, whether it's relationships, business, or any other area of life. Are you ready for success? Here we go. Well, hello and welcome to the show. You know, today we have a great show lined up for you because we have a very special guest. With us today is Carrington Smith Tribune. Did I just say your name correct? It's Trebu, but that's okay. Trebu. We want to make sure we get that correct. She's a former trial lawyer, best-selling author, single mom, and owner of Carrington Legal Search. For the past 22 years, Carrie has advised executives on careers and life. And today she's going to share some very exciting information with us. So we're excited to have her on the show. Carrie, let's start, uh, well, first of all, talking about excitement. Uh, what's most exciting about what you do today? What I do today... Um... What I love about it is I like to say my job is like a box of chocolates and that you never know what you're going to get. And I think a lot of people have a sort of a stigma about attorneys and what they do and that all attorneys are the same. And there really are thousands of different flavors of lawyers. And so I'm always um, uncovering new types of lawyers, but also they all come from different backgrounds. And one of the things I love discovering is peeling back and finding out their story and I'm always astonished. I mean, some I've I've talked to lawyers who were former NBA or NFL players, which is not something you normally think. Oh, I'll go play in the NBA and then I'll go become a lawyer, uh, but it happens. And so you just never know. Someone could be a chemical engineer. Someone um, could have been a a, a rodeo. Uh, uh, entertainer. I mean, you just never know. And so it's really interesting how people have different paths to get to the same place. So I love discovering that. Yeah. And that's always an exciting thing, you know, because again, it, it, it makes your life interesting because you meet all of these different interesting people. Yeah. It makes my life richer. And I love to find out what motivates them. Um, you know, who's, who has inspired them and why, and uncovering those little nuggets of wisdom along the way is, is really, um, it's like gathering treasure. It's like treasure hunting. Yeah, yeah. And when you talk about treasure hunting, I mean, let's talk about it. You have an executive search firm. So your job is to find these treasures and place them in the right opportunities. Talk a little bit about how you ended up in that space. Yeah, so I started out um, by practicing law for seven years. And um, in that process, I worked with a recruiter and uh had a decent experience, but really kind of came away thinking that I could do it better. And I saw a lot of opportunity for improvement. And so as I came to realize that practicing law really wasn't for me long-term, but I did enjoy working with lawyers and I was very motivated to use my law degree, I decided to get into legal recruiting. And um, what happened with that was I ended up gravitating towards working with companies primarily and working with them um, I was elevated from just doing sort of general recruiting to doing executive search. And that was, I mean, I actually, it's kind of, you don't ever hear this happen, but I started at sort of like contingent fee, sort of low level stuff. And the company liked me so much, they invited me to do their chief legal officer search and um, on, you know, doing retained executive work. And it completely changed the nature of my business and, um, change the trajectory of my career. And that was, has been such a great thing for me. So. Yeah. 
Wow. So as we are, I guess, in this era of what's being called the great resignation, <laughs> all these yeah. different terms, are you seeing that as much at the C-suite level? Well, I think what we're really seeing at the C-suite level is um, that there's a, a big talent gap and that there's a huge need for leadership and people who have certain skills that the, that talent just isn't available. And so there definitely is, it's really has to do more with demographics than anything, um, but not just demographics, particularly in the legal sector. Um, we had back in the eighties, we had like a hundred, we're turning out like a hundred thousand lawyers a year. Now we're only turning out about 32,000. And now those lawyers, half of them are female, which we would be like, yay, that's great. The only problem is female lawyers are much more likely to leave the profession than male lawyers. So by the time you get to like senior partner level, it's something like 75% male. Wow. So while we're turning out 32%, I mean, 32,000 and half are female. Well, if you're only retaining, you know, a quarter of the females, that number is really shrinking. And so there's really a demographic issue where we don't have enough lawyers at the right skill levels. And we're seeing that with rising compensation. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out, but there's definitely pressure in that sense. Wow. I mean, so you've said a number of things there. There's a number of questions that come to mind. I guess the first one would be uh, maybe aside from the tuition of what it costs to go to law school, is it, do we feel that it's the cost of going to law school and maybe not those opportunities afterwards that's caused the decline in terms of uh, folks even aspiring to become a lawyer? Yeah, that's a big part of it. And there's definitely a, um, a real bifurcation in the legal profession of people who are in the top 10 or 20% of their class and go to really good schools, they earn a disproportionately <laughs> bigger uh, compensation package than people who fall beneath those levels. And so you could have, you know, lawyers in the same class, the top 10% are making millions of dollars a year. And the people in the bottom part of the class are making $100,000, $200,000 a year. And so, you know, what I tell people is if you decide to go that path, you know, if you don't score, don't do well your first year, then you need to really take a hard look at the economics of it because it may not make sense. Yeah. So um, I think there's some changes that need to happen uh, in a lot of things in the legal profession, but that's definitely one of the things that causes the... Um, the lack of longevity and then the the fact that people have to work as hard as they do i mean just it's it's grueling it's absolutely grueling and so and that's why there's a lot of burnout okay and do you think that's one of the contrib contributing factors of women walking away from the profession uh oh, yeah. sooner than male counterpart absolutely yeah okay wow you know, one of the things you do great at is uh, helping people to understand how to design their life. So even when, when we're talking about this and how you're advising some folks that maybe that's not the best thing for them, talk about your approach to this uh, whole notion of designing your life. Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of people just kind of wing it and say, you know, all I know is I want to make a certain amount of money and I'm going to, you know, whenever that opportunity comes up, that's what I'm going to do or they have a picture of their mind based on television or something that 
that they want to be a CEO or a lawyer or a banker or whatever it is, but they don't really understand what the day-to-day of that person's life is and what their career looks like as far as the ability to have flexibility, raising a family, those sorts of things. So what I suggest people do is to really spend some time reflecting and to write their own story about what their best life would look like. And then once you do that, you can take that and turn around and look at the different career options that are in front of you and say, how does that match up and spend time like doing informational interviews and finding out like, what does their day-to-day really look like? And, you know, am I going to have to work, you know, really, really hard for five years and then it pays off and I don't have to work as hard, or am I going to have to work this hard for the rest of my life and have like no time with my family and that sort of thing? Like, what are your priorities? And so, uh, and, and what is the opportunity for personal fulfillment over the organization's fulfillment? Because if you're working so hard just on what they want, you know, are you going to be personally fulfilled? So I think that people need to write that story and kind of look at their career from that direction and spend some time really doing some discovery as a part, as opposed to just jumping in and, you know, accumulating a bunch of student debt and then not really knowing how to pay it off and finding that they're like being strangled by all this debt. I wish people did more counseling on the front end as opposed to people just, you know, flying by the seat of their pants and ending up in a huge hole. So I, I, that's why I say it's about designing your life. And I think like every five years you should sit down and, and rewrite that story yeah. because things change, right? All of a sudden you, you've discovered new things, you've discovered new desires that you have and you have to keep keep on going back and reprioritizing your life and saying, and then looking at your life and saying, is the path I'm taking going to meet these objectives? And if you're constantly asking yourself that question, it makes it a lot easier to make decisions. Because if you say, is this going to help me get to where I want to go? And the answer is no, it makes it a whole lot easier to say, okay, I'm not going to do that then. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think a lot of people, there's so many I think that uh, there's so many options out there. That's one of the advantages of being in the country that we're in. We have so many opportunities and there's so many possibilities. People say, well, I could do that or I could do that, but you really have to pick a path and then constantly go back and make sure that you're, you know, meeting your own like personal and spiritual and all those needs as well. Yeah. I, I like the part where you talked about, you know, revisiting that, you know, every five years or so, because you're absolutely right. It's extremely important. Uh, you know, look at, you know, what we experienced with the pandemic, you know, you know, had you written that plan six, seven years ago, you certainly need to revisit it now because, you know, things have changed in the last couple of years. So uh, it's extremely important. And I think, you know, again, not just flying by the seat of your pants, but at least having that roadmap. So should you even veer off, you have something to come back to, uh, to get you back on track. Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you for me, like right now, um, I have one son in college and I have one that's a senior in high school. And over the last couple of years, as I was given opportunities to do different things and potentially like, you know, maybe take a project or, you know, start a new business or something, I kept in my mind, I only have a year or two left with these kids and how, how important it was for me to continue to um, nurture those relationships while they're still in the house. And so every time those opportunities would come up, I would say, is this going to get me closer to my objective of having a close relationship with my children, which is something that will be maintained for the rest of our lives, right? But if I took those opportunities today and didn't foster those relationships, 
I mean, what a cost that would be later. So it's having a really clear vision of what's truly important to you. It helps you make those really important decisions. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like you've already asked this, answered this question for yourself. So I'll ask the question, you know, of course, we all have moments in our life that define us. Please tell me about a time in your life where you had such a moment and 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 how did you respond to it? Well, that is the uh, genesis of my book. So my that question is so important because I use that question when I'm talking to other executives because I want to really peel back um, and, and, and learn about what really motivates a person. And I find that people's answers to that question really expose, you know, who they are and what makes them tick. And in one interview, this actually happened right before COVID hit, someone actually turned the question around on me and said, well, what about you? What, you know, tell me about your defining moment. And, you know, I realized that there were so many answers that I could give, but um, the irony is that I ended up writing a whole book about it. And so, and in my book, I mean, you know, the first chapter I open up, I talk about being raped and how I was so determined to not have that moment define me. And the reality is, as I've learned through many years of therapy and whatnot, is that those moments that we don't want to define us actually end up defining us the most. And part of the reason for that was because by not dealing with the trauma, by in, when I was like, it's not going to define me, I'm just going to push it down. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. I'm not going to talk about it. And what happens when we do that is it actually ends up owning us. And so for me, um, you know, a big part of my journey was actually learning to own my story and talk about these difficult things and use them as, a, as opposed to being something that drains me as something that is a, is a spark or a stimulus to launch me forward and to give, and to give me more power. And so, you know, being able to kind of take some really bad things and shift them to positive um, has been incredibly empowering. No, I, I love it. I love it. I was going to say, keep going because you're <laughs> absolutely right. When you can take, you know, something that's uh, traumatizing as that and turn it and shift it into a powerful piece for you to fuel you, uh, yeah. man, to where it doesn't overwhelmingly define you in a negative way. I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah. But yeah. the way it did end up defining me or shaking me is that um, I, you know, people would say all the time to me, they'd say, you know, there's something about Carrie, you Carrie, you just have a presence. Um, and it's a, what it is, is it's a quiet confidence. Mm -hmm. And where that, so I started going, okay, well, where does that come from? And I came to realize it really came from going through some really traumatic experiences. And so, because when you get to the other side, you're kind of like, what else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring, it, bring it live. I've been there. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of see that trait in soldiers, right? Yep. They have that like walk of the room, like they own the room, like I got this. Yeah. But it's because they've been through so much. And I came to realize that those traumas actually strengthened me. They created steel in me. Hmm. And that steel came to really serve me later. And so by claiming the gift that was in the, in the trauma and the darkness and, and all of that, by claiming that, that's where the power is. 
And so I really encourage people to actually re-examine their lives and own their stories instead of trying to hide them. Wow. Okay. So you mentioned the book, give us the title of the book. Yeah. So the title of the book is blooming, finding gifts in the shit of life. And I use that word um, really intentionally because, you know, it's a couple of things. I mean, one, we all, you know, colloquially, we all go through shit, which mm -hmm. is trauma and, and all of that. But shit is quite literally fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And it's in the, um, it's in all this trauma and whatnot that we find the nutrients that we need to grow into our greatness. And so by recognizing that the things that we talk about as just, you know, whether it's divorce or death or other trauma that we refer to as the shit we're going through, if we suddenly look at it and go, wait, that's where the nutrients are. Suddenly we look at advert at, uh, at adversity is opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it's just by flipping it. It's, it's, it's all one in the same. So it's, it's, again, it's about a mind shift about looking at things differently. And that's why using that word was so important in the title. Wow. I gotta tell you, it's, it's really refreshing to talk with you and just to hear uh, a lot of your story that some parts, maybe I didn't know some parts I didn't know, but to hear the mind shift and set that you now have, and it's no surprise now that you're helping people to redefine their career goals and placing them in better opportunities, things of that nature. And then you have a book that's helping people to change their mindset and help them to get into a better place. Um, is that something that you maybe always had or is it just, you know what, hey, I found this relief and I found this, you know, new place with a different mindset and I just want to see others do the same? I think that, you know, I've always been a fighter. I've always, you know, tried to be positive, but I'll be honest, there were times when I was so depressed and just going to slogging through the mud that, uh, you know, I, it, it wasn't always pretty. And I think that um, after my second divorce, that's when I had that friend who said to me, you know, Carrie, with adversity comes opportunity. And I really reflected on that and came to realize that instead of focusing on everything I was losing in the divorce, if I focused on everything I was gaining, which was a blank slate, an opportunity to completely create a new life shape it exactly how I wanted to without trying to please somebody else. I mean, if I focused on the opportunity, wow, it's like my spirits lifted. And I just saw this just, you know, this window of I could just, you know, create a, an entirely different world. And by letting go of the focus on what I was losing, just that shift, that simple shift in what I was looking at changed my life. And what I say is mindset is a muscle. And once you learn that trick of flipping things and looking at them differently, you, it becomes a habit where every time something, ad, you know, some sort of adversity hits, I immediately look for the good in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be something really simple just on a daily basis, whether, you know, whether you, you tear your clothing or something and then you have to change outfits. I mean, it, whatever it is, I'm like, okay, you know, God wanted, didn't want me to wear that today. You know, there's, there's some reason behind it. I, I always look for the good and that has helped really served me and helped me. And it, it definitely, it, it impacts your day-to-day -day decisions. 
um, it lifts your spirit and it, it just helps you in life in general. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is also, you know, again, helping others. Uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to, to interview the late great Zig Ziglar, and he always talked about the fact that you can have anything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what it is they want. Uh, so it sounds like even with yourself, you're thinking more about how can I help others uh, as opposed to dealing with my own shit. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, when I wrote the book, I mean, while it was a memoir in that sense, it was about me. I like to say it's not about me because the reason I wrote it was to sort of hold the reader's hand and kind of walk them through my journey so that maybe they could also learn from those experiences. I mean, I understood that I was handling COVID very differently than anyone else um, or than very many people because when it happened, I immediately saw it as an opportunity. I was like, okay, this is one of those moments in history, like the Great Depression, where you know, over half the Fortune 500 companies were founded. I saw it as a unique and special moment. And I was like, okay, what, where is the opportunity here? And then when we went into lockdown, I was like, oh, so this is a forced sabbatical where I suddenly get to do a bunch of things that I normally didn't have time to do. So just by, instead of calling it lockdown, looking at it as a sabbatical, you know, just these little change in how you, the verbiage of how you view things, I mean, I set goals and, you know, got things accomplished during that time and came out of it, you know, feeling victorious. So I think that, I mean, I understood that my approach was very different, but I also understood it was different because of what I've been through. And so I wanted to sort of give people a shortcut on, okay, these are the things that I learned and that's how I was able to handle this and other, you know, bad things in life. Yeah. Well, you know, in this interview, and it sounds like even in the book, you are very vulnerable, very transparent. Talk about the need for more of that uh, uh, in today's society. It's huge. And I think, um, as I like to say, the more perfect the facade, uh, the more likelihood that there is, you know, all hell breaking loose behind it. And I mean, I've really learned that through life experience. And I think that I mean, I, I can honestly say people who pretend to be perfect, I do not trust mm-hmm. because I know that their perfection is a lie. Yeah. They're literally the way they're living their life is telling me that they're living a lie. I trust people who are authentic, who say to me, I'm having a bad day. I've gone through some rough stuff. That tells me that they're willing to be vulnerable and open and authentic. Those are the people who I like to build relationships with. And yes, it's so important particularly in the work environment that managers and whatnot indicate, yes, I have, you know, I have kids at home. I have an aging mother. I have, I have these other things and let's all figure out how we can help each other out and get through this and, and, you know, meet the company's objectives and your personal objectives. But if we try to hide those things and pretend they don't exist, we're not helping anybody. We're just causing additional stress. Wow. I love it. I love it. As we prepare to land this, uh, you know, of course, getting ready to approach a new year, new opportunities, folks are looking to, you know, sharpen the saw and, and increase their opportunities ahead of them. What advice do you have for those who are aspiring to either go to C-suite level or they're already there and maybe looking to move into a different industry or what have you? Well, I think, again, start with writing your story. And first understanding, is that something I really want? Because getting that next big job also comes with a lot of personal sacrifice and family sacrifice because it means you're going to have less time with your family. 
So really have a clear picture of what you want. And if that is what you really want, that's so important. And then I always include, you know, suggest that people do informational interviews and basically talk to other people who have similar roles and learn how they got there. And suddenly it's like when you go to somebody, as I say, ask for advice, they give you money, ask for money, they give you advice. You know, it's like, <laughs> wait, say of, it again, say it again. I love that. <laughs> ask for advice, they give you money, ask for money, they give you advice. Okay. <laughs> but it's the same when you do like an informational interview, you're not asking them for a job, but suddenly they're an inv they're invested in your success. So what I find is when people do go have like a lunch with somebody and say, hey, I admire you. I would really learn, like to learn more about how you got, you know, where you are today and you know, help me better understand that path and, you know, learn, get some wisdom from you. I find that the, that the people who do the, give the advice become very invested in the success of that person and are like, hey, you know, because this is the other thing. People feel bad asking for help, but what they don't realize and think about this, because I know that you're really big in philanthropy, I find my joy when I'm giving. And so what I tell people is, if you don't ask for help, you're stealing someone else's joy. If you can look at it from that perspective, that when you refuse to receive or ask you know, for help, that you're standing in the way of someone else's joy, suddenly it's like, okay, now I don't feel so bad about it. It's like, wow, someone else is going to feel good when they actually, you know, offer advice or help, or whatever. They're going to feel flattered. They're going to, you know, they're going to feel a great experience from that. I think, again, it's that shifting of perspective when you understand that. And that is so powerful. And you're absolutely correct. I mean, giving is a spiritual gift. Uh, now I say that don't start writing me people and ask for money. I, I'm going to give you advice. Like, <laughs> but no, 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 seriously, though, giving is a spiritual gift. And you're allowing that person the opportunity to operate in their gift. Uh, when you do ask for that advice, and they're able to give it to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Carrie, as we prepare to wrap up, I mean, today you're you with this new mindset and the shift in mindset, you live a life of joy, opportunity and purpose uh, to all of this. What do you attribute the success to? Well, I think it is. Um, it's constant determination to um, not just, you know, be happy because I find happiness is a choice but also to share that happiness with others, as we've talked about. I mean, I definitely have a thread in my life of always wanting to help others. And when you approach business and life from that filter, um, it really does transform your life. And I do think that that's a big part of the success of my life. I mean, when you're looking to give people something as opposed to constantly um, demanding things from people, I think it really is a powerful thing. It really is. Wow. I got to tell you, uh, you know, it has just been a great conversation with you. I know it's, we went through some challenges of getting this interview set up and I'll, I'm saying all this on tape just so to be here, but it, it took a while for us to get this set up. And I can see why now, because I think so many people are really going to be helped uh, by the conversation. And I really appreciate everything that you've shared, uh, being vulnerable and transparent. And I really think again, that it, it showed, and I think it's going to really be a blessing to a lot of people. So uh, thank, thank you so much. You. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Absolutely. All right. 
To learn more about Principles for Success and Chris Howell Communications, visit chrishowellonline.com. Once there, access our media archive and find out about the other ways that Chris Howell Communications can inspire, impact, and inform.